Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. One of the coolest stories recorded after Jesus rose from the dead can be found in John 21, verses 1 through 14. I found myself reading this account with new eyes this year, and it's amazing how when we look, at diff- we look at things differently when we're going through different circumstances and situations. And I have to tell you that during this shelter in place or shelter in home thing that we're all going through, um, I, I have had more time to meditate, more time to pray, and even listen to what God is speaking to me. I hate that we have to be apart from one another, but I love the revelation that God has given me in reference to how I have been too busy for my own good. And this has been a recentering time for me, and I'm, I'm so thankful for that. But in John 2021, we find this account of Jesus appearing to his disciples a third time. And it just hit me like never before. There are so many parallels with how they must have felt with how we are feeling today. For these disciples that had been with Jesus for the last three years, everything had suddenly changed. He went to the cross, he rose from the dead on the third day. He appeared to them on that resurrection morning. And we know that from our sermon last week, Pastor Donnie preached about that. And in addition to telling them, peace be with you, he breathed on them and he said in that first encounter, receive ye the Holy Ghost, receive ye the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came on them in that moment. But this was not the outpouring that would come on the day of Pentecost. Essentially, at that moment, they were saved in the way that we are saved. Because like us, they were now on the other side of the cross. No one can receive Christ without the Holy Spirit's work. Jesus said, he, the Holy Spirit, will lead you into all truth. And this includes the truth of salvation. Jesus appeared to them a second time a week later. And you may remember that this is when he confronted Thomas about his disbelief. And so that brings us to the third time, John 21, we see this group of disciples hanging out on the Sea of Galilee. There were seven of them at the time that were there. And these guys had a crazy last few weeks. And even though they had seen Jesus twice and they knew that he was everything that he said he was, their whole world had been turned upside down. They had left everything to follow Jesus. And now they were probably feeling like a leaderless band of brothers. Everything had changed, and it happened overnight. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Now what? They'd been living on the kindness of others as they ministered along with Jesus. They knew that they had to continue the work of Christ, but this was hard. Everything was different without him physically there, and everything felt a bit in limbo. I mean, who was in charge? Just a few weeks ago or so, they were all having an argument about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus, of course, stopped that argument. But who would settle their disputes now? What were they to do next? And I think about the church right now and what's going on in our world and how everything has changed so much. All of our programs and ministries that we've built and depended on, they gotta be rethought. 
Questions are constantly nagging at our brains as pastors. And what, like, like, will we ever go back to how things were? Will we have large physical together meetings when people have become so accustomed to online services? Will elderly people choose to isolate themselves more often out of fear? Will government be able to shut down services with more ease now that this situation has paved the way and given precedence to it? How can we fulfill our callings as believers to go and preach the gospel to all nations? How can we fulfill our calling as a church? All of our wonderful methods have been kind of turned upside down. They've been turned on their head. And these disciples had to have similar questions as we do today. What now? What's next? How are we going to fulfill what Jesus has called us to do? So as they're sitting on the beach with all of this burden and all these questions, Peter speaks up, and, and I love what he says. He says, I'm going fishing. Let's pick it up in John 21, verse 3. This is Peter speaking. He says, I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When you don't know what to do, when you're frustrated, it's always a good idea to go to work. This was their trade. They knew how to do it. They weren't abandoning the call of Christ by going fishing, but going to work was better than sitting around doing nothing. Accomplishing something, anything, was better than sitting around and going nuts in their own minds. So as everyone knows that a, a bad day of fishing is better than a good day doing anything else, right? And understand, there's, there's a principle here. God expects us to be productive, that's what he expects. That's how he created us. He expects us to be productive no matter what. And there is never an excuse to sit back and not be productive in some way. I remember a lady, and I've told the story before, who I went and used to go and visit her in the nursing home. And she was an elderly lady, and she was like a grandma to my, uh, to my wife in, in, in many ways. But I went and visited with her, and she had been there for years, far too long to be in the nursing home. But I remember she wasn't always in her right mind, and she would be laying in the bed, and she said, well, I, I've just baked a, a, a cake for you. I've just baked, baked cookies for you. I've got the coffee on, things like that when you'd come in and visit. And of course, she hadn't. But one day I walked in there, and she looked right, I mean, looked right into my soul. And some of you know what I'm talking about when someone looks into your soul. And she was in her right mind, and she goes, I am here because I am called to pray for you. And I remember it being so unbelievable uh, to hear those words that she was laying in a nursing home for years and years, and yet she was still being productive. Church, I think it's important for us to understand this. We should never just sit back on our laurels. We should never not be productive. We can always do something, amen? And fishing for Peter represented doing something, providing for his family, his friends, and himself. He didn't sit back because of the situation and pout because Jesus wasn't with him all the time now. He didn't make excuses about leaving his trade and now having nothing because he gave it all up to follow Jesus. In the midst of our national situation, please, church, don't sit around and do nothing. We need to get productive. God designed us to be producers, 
Depression sets in whenever we decide to do nothing. So they all go fishing, right? But they spent all night out in the boat and they caught nothing, the Word of God says. And this had to take Peter back to when he first met Jesus. You remember the story in Luke, Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 6. It says, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the Word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. You see, this is the account of when Peter, Simon Peter, first met Jesus. He realized the power and the authority that Christ had because of this harvest of fish. Now, three years later, when everything seems so upside down, it could, it could be that fishing was the only thing that made sense to Peter. Emotionally speaking, he maybe just wanted to go back to that place in his mind where belief and confidence reigned supreme because of that miracle catch of fish. Maybe, just maybe, reminding himself of that miracle would take away all of this doubt and uncertainty that he was feeling. And it had to be a little bit of a kick in the gut when they had labored all night without catching a thing. And it was probably a bit of a reminder that Jesus was really not with them physically now, and they, they had to be on their own. Some of you may relate to this when you think about the first time your parents left you home alone. Maybe it was a bit nerve-wracking for you. It certainly was for me. It actually was a fear that I had for quite a while growing up. And to this day, I really don't know why that was such a fear for me, but it was. But I do remember the weird feeling in my gut when I was put in charge and had to take care of things around the house. It was a sick, nervous feeling, a feeling of uncertainty and fear. What would I do if this or that happened? What would I do if, if mom and dad didn't make it back home safely? All of the what ifs would just come in like a flood. And, and Satan is so good. He's so good and, and tricky, good at being nasty. That's, that's the way to say it. Good at being nasty. He knows just what to say to get into you and, and kindle that fear within you. And I'm sure a lot of these guys had those same things going on. That fear, what are we gonna do now? Our leader is not with us. And I'm sure that the idea of Jesus making them fishers of men as he told them in their first meeting was heavy upon their hearts. This is what Jesus told them just before they pulled up their nets and they left everything that they'd ever known and they followed him. This is what they had been doing and preparing for for the last three years as they ministered alongside Jesus. And in a way, remembering this took them back to the basics. Making these disciples fishers of men was the first thing Jesus said he would do for them. That's why they followed him in the first place. Matthew's account in chapter 419 of this, this story says it this way. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And there's a lesson here, church, when uncertainty of what the future holds starts to overwhelm you, go back to the basics of your faith. 
That's what Peter was doing here. He went back to the basics. He went back to the time when he met Jesus and he just went fishing. So what happened next to these disheartened disciples after they had fished all night and caught nothing? We'll pick the story back up, John 21, four through five. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Why didn't they recognize him? That's the first question I have. Maybe, maybe they couldn't see clearly in the early morning light, or maybe they were too uh, far out in the water to make out who was actually calling out to them. Maybe Jesus looked a bit different after being raised from the dead. It seems in previous appearances that people hadn't recognized him right away. Maybe there was something different about how he looked. We don't know exactly. Biblical scholars don't agree completely on the whys of this question. But we do know this, Jesus was calling them and they didn't know it was Jesus. John 21, six says this, he said, referring to Jesus, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. A stranger, at least in their eyes, because they didn't know who it was, says, cast your nets, throw them out on the other side of the boat. And they do it without question. And when they do, they take in a haul of fish so heavy they can't even get it in. This is a peculiar story to me. And as I meditated on it, I just, I just kind of began to think when you're unsure about the things going on around you, when everything seems to be turned on its head, when uncertainty, fear, and doubt about what the future holds seems to flood your soul, you may just have to listen to the Lord and do some things that don't make sense to you in your natural mind. And I wanna relate this to the church in the midst of this COVID-19 thing. The church as a whole, including the local church, may have to start listening to the Lord, even though his voice is like a stranger's voice to some members of the body of Christ. And I don't mean that in a judgmental way, but honestly, we all get so distracted at times that we miss the voice of God. We just don't recognize him because of all the noise going on around us. Also, we may have to do some things that, we don't, that don't even make sense to us to continue the work that he's called us to do. It makes no sense to me in this story, and it didn't make, I'm sure it didn't make any sense to the disciples to throw their nets out once again, just change the other side of the boat. I mean, really, how would that change anything? And the Bible says they had caught nothing all night. They worked all night fishing, having their nets out. And this stranger yells from shore, hey, you catch anything? And they're like, no. Hey, try the other side of the boat. I mean, really? Is that really gonna make a difference? I mean, we're talking about five, six feet on the other side of the boat, you're gonna catch something then? Most of us would have laughed at the notion. Yet these disciples had seen too much. They had seen enough miracles that they had become experts at anticipating God's power showing up. Their vision for miracles had become 2020 vision. They believed they could and would, miracles anyway, would and could happen at any moment. So they do what they are told and they change their method a bit and boom, a huge harvest 
of fish. Believers, maybe as we persevere through all of this pandemic stuff, the church will be reborn in such a way that we'll have to become effective in the harvest once again. Not to say that the church has become completely ineffective, but maybe the church that arises out of all of this will be willing to lay down all of their methodology, all of their specific styles that they enjoy, all of their, we've done it that way as long as I can remember kind of things. And maybe they will become the Holy Spirit-led and empowered church that actually builds the kingdom of God instead of entertaining those who have already been won. I pray it will cause us to rethink and cast our nets out in a completely different way. I mean, there is something significant. You have to admit this. There's something significant about picking up your nets, doing a 180-degree turn, and then throwing them back out. It's so similar to what they've been doing, yet it is the opposite side of the boat. And because they listened, they harvested. They harvested so much that they had to tow the nets into shore. They were too heavy to lift into the boat. We need to pray, church, that we will be so in tune with the Holy Spirit that we will be willing to hear the voice and cast our nets out in innovative ways that we have never thought of before. Just because we've always thrown our net on this side of the boat doesn't mean we have to keep doing it that way. How bad do you want to harvest, church? And when I say harvest, I'm talking souls. It's time we stop worshiping the methods and start listening to the Spirit. We need our nets full, so full that we can barely handle them. I love what John 21, 7 says, it continues the story. It says, then the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. This stranger who's calling out on the beach, that's Jesus. We got this big harvest of fish. John recognized it right away. He said, that's got to be Jesus. And Peter responded. But it's interesting that John was the most intimate, in, in the most intimate relationship with Jesus of any of the disciples. He was closest to the Lord. And an intimate relationship with him will give you incredible insight in understanding where God is leading. And if the voice you are hearing deep down in your spirit is his, I, I would even say this, those who are most intimate with Christ will always recognize him first, just like John did here. But when John said, it's the Lord, Peter, upon hearing, held nothing back he jumps into the water to go out and meet him. He's already seen Jesus since he had risen from the dead, but he is so zealous to be with him, he just abandons ship. He abandons ship and, ship and goes, goes right to him. John 21, 7 says, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said, Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say this, it is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. And let me make this point. There are those in the church who will always, because of the nature of their personalities and gifts, intimately pray and they'll know, while others intimately pray and do. 
My point is, is that it takes all kinds in the body of Christ. And that is why the Lord gave us all to one another and endowed us with different gifts, equal in the body, because we depend on each other, but different. As we navigate these new waters for the church, we must not forget to appreciate one another's specific giftedness and one another's personalities. It's imperative for us, even though we are physically separated, we must continue to depend on each other as different members of the body of Christ. As a shelter-in-home believer, I need the wisdom that some of our elders have. Whether they are on the board or not, I need the Marthas who are willing to work and the Marys who are willing to worship. I need those that are given over to intercession and those who are given over to serving. I need people with the gift of empathy or the gift of mercy to still be a part of my life because that's what keeps me balanced as an individual believer. Balance can become more difficult when we are not physically together. It's important that we recognize in our separation that we are still one body and we still, though different gifts, are one and unified. This is where our understanding of the body comes into play. We must be humble enough to admit that we are dependent on one another. We gotta lay down our individual pride. There is not one of you that's listening to me right now that can do this thing on their own. Not one. Nobody has all the gifts. Nobody has so much ability that they can be so, and be so individualistic that they can make it on their own and be, and be successful. They can try, but they're not gonna be successful. We gotta lay down our pride because we need each other. Why don't you turn to somebody in your living room and say, we need each other. Look them right in the eye and say it right now. now there's no substitutes for this, church. We must depend on each other and what we all individually bring to the body if we're going to cast our nets in an effort to build the kingdom, even in the midst of this famine and even beyond all of this stuff going on, because that's not gonna last forever. John 21, eight through 11 says, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. So we see this massive harvest here and a, a, a number is even given, 153 large fish. And just like the account in Luke, when they first met Jesus, it was almost more than they could handle. But there's a notable difference between these two accounts. The first time they went fishing with Jesus, the nets were torn because of the great harvest. The last account of fishing with Jesus, the nets were not torn even though they were full of large fish. Why does the word of God point this out? Remember that, that this is all happening after Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And again, they had received the Holy Spirit in the sense that they were saved now. Jesus would later instruct them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit's outpouring on them. But as they sat here with Jesus, they had the ability to be obedient to Christ and depend on the Holy Spirit's leading like they hadn't been able to do in the past. 
They had received that measure of the Spirit just as we do when we come to Christ. And we know there's gonna be an outpouring in just a few weeks. That's the day of Pentecost, which was yet to come. Even though they had the Spirit now, they had him because Jesus breathed on them. Maybe a great way to understand this is to say that on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit would be poured out and the Spirit would have them. At this time with Jesus, they had the Spirit, but on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit would have them. It's a great way of saying it. Anyway, I make this point about the net not tearing because before they had the Spirit in Luke, they were not able to keep the nets intact and some of the harvest was lost because of torn nets. Now, after they have the Holy Spirit as part of their lives, the harvest they brought in was just as big, but they lost none of it. Could it be that because of the work of the Holy Spirit, these guys could rest assured that their harvest wouldn't be lost? None would slip away? And I think about this as in reference to being a pastor. It's, it's so hard to see so many people come to Jesus in a heartfelt way, but not really change. And it happens all the time. People say yes to Jesus, but decide that they are really pretty good people and, and don't need to change. I mean, people do sometimes say yes to Jesus because of selfish motives. Maybe because they have need of a miracle or they are just lonely or they want some friends or it feels good to have people love you so they follow him to experience that sense of belonging. And if the truth be told, the real motives of the heart would land these people in the camp of those that left Jesus whenever he said hard things. And he said hard things a lot. Let me say it this way. Salvation is free, church. It's free, but following Jesus will cost you everything. Sometimes people uh, merely consent to salvation because they want heaven, but they don't let the change happen. And I don't care how wonderful you think you are, your life will change when you enter into a relationship with Christ. It's inevitable. You can't come to Christ and not have your life be changed. It just doesn't work that way. Jesus is in the business of changing lives. The evidence of salvation is a changed life. It's fact. And before the Holy Spirit had come upon these disciples, I mean, they were scattering, they were denying Christ, running from any kind of conflict. They were not being true to their word. The net that caught them could be easily torn and was torn. But now with the Holy Spirit and his leading and guidance into all truth, the nets were not gonna be torn. They were solid and well able to keep the harvest of fish from slipping back into those murky waters. And the harvest of souls that will come come in to the church of Jesus Christ during these kinds of times of uncertainty and change, it'll be a harvest that sticks. I love studying the great awakenings within the church, the revivals that have broken out in the past. And whenever these kinds of outpourings occur, it changes, changes the spiritual atmosphere of, of cities, of, of nations. It, brought, it brings in thousands and, and sometimes millions of souls to Christ. And these were decisions that, that stuck in the past and affected whole generations of families during some of these great awakenings. And I'm excited that we may be coming into a time of great awakening and revival within the church. 
This could really be a time. I also can't help but think of a sermon that, that Jay uh, Calloway preached right here in our sanctuary. He talked about how Jesus never fished with lures. He always fished with nets, and I love that thought. And this is another great example of this. Jesus doesn't want his church to merely go after the ones that are most beneficial to the church. Those with certain talents or certain financial stature or even the so-called beautiful ones. Jesus wants us to go after everyone. There are no exceptions. Preach to everyone the good news of Jesus Christ. Everyone needs to hear. Everyone. And when the Holy Spirit is involved with our efforts and involved with those who receive Christ, we can be assured that he can sustain their salvation and they won't come to Jesus out of some wrong motive. They won't easily slip out of the Father's hand and back into the world. And that excites me. As a pastor, I'm ready to see people come to Christ and people change by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's times like this, times of uncertainty, where God's people begin to cry out once again in a, in a desperate kind of voice that we see these kinds of things happen. John 21, 12 through 14 finishes this story. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, he took the bread and he gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And obviously Jesus is always the gentleman. He's always hospitable. He's got the fire going, bread and fish cooking, and he invites them to have breakfast with him. Again, this is a call to them to enter into a deeper relationship with him. It's also a reminder to all of us that we need to keep that spirit of, of being hospitable and generous always before us. This also speaks to the continued provision of Christ to those that believe and are willing to go to work. He provides even in the midst of all their uncertainty, and you can take this to the bank, he provides for them always. In closing this morning, I want to challenge you. I brought up a lot of different thoughts within this account of Jesus meeting with his disciples. And I hope that you are ready to go to work like never before. Going to work building his kingdom until he comes again. We've got a job to do, church. We've got a job to do. Let's go fishing. Let's be willing to change our methods per the Holy Spirit's leading. Let's fish with the confidence in the outcome, knowing that it's gonna make a difference. I think so often the church doesn't believe that people can change. But if that's what we believe, then what's the point of the church? With the Holy Spirit, we can be confident that the harvest is gonna happen and it will be solid and we will see lives changed. God can save anyone and everyone. He can. He saved me. Turn to your neighbor and say, he saved you. Our job is to do all we can knowing God will always provide. What will you do? Will you sit around and long for what we used to have or will you embrace the adventure of all that God is doing in the midst of our situation? Let's choose to not go back to the way things have always been.
Let's cast our nets and let's go fishing. We pray with me. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would stir up the gifts within us. God, that you would stir not only gifts, not only the gifts, but our very souls. Lord, we want to be like tools in your hand, harvesting tools that are used for your glory, that are used to build your kingdom. God, I pray that you would melt away all complacency and callousness. Help us to see people through the eyes of eternity. Help us to see them through your eyes, God, as souls that can be saved. God, if we gotta change our ways, help us change our ways, our methods. Lord, help us be confident in the fact that your Holy Spirit can lead and change people so that we don't have the attitude that, oh, that guy will never come to Christ. Lord, you can save anyone. Help us be obedient to you, God. And help us become world changers as we cast our nets and we go fishing. We love you, Lord, and we give you our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.